Let's read Galatians 5, verse 22 and uh, 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And the sermon this morning will especially focus on that one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you Christians, a thoughtful unbeliever once said, you Christians seem to have a religion that makes you miserable. You are like a man with a headache. He does not want to get rid of his head, but it hurts him to keep it. As much as we might want to protest, there is much truth to this. Joy can often seem out of reach for us. No sooner do we grasp it than it flies away or vanishes into thin air. There are just so many things that can steal our joy. It's like the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. But this is not the way God intended it to be. This is not the gospel. Although there is much sorrow and trouble in this life, our lives can and ought to be full of joy. I proclaim to you God's word as follows. In the fruit of the Spirit is joy. We'll see first Jesus' joy and then our joy. Before we can think about our own joy, we first need to consider the joy of the Lord Jesus. What makes Jesus Joyful. What makes him happy? The thing that probably comes to our minds first is a life of thankful obedience. When we say no to sin and yes to his good commandments, when we serve him faithfully with the few things he gives us, our master, Jesus, rejoices and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And indeed, faithful obedience brings Jesus joy. It fills his heart with happiness. Unity among believers is another thing that brings Jesus joy. Philippians 2 verse 2 reads, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Regardless of what side of any issue we're on, our unity runs deeper because it's rooted in Christ. When we realize that and live that out by accepting each other in love, that makes Paul's joy and our Savior's joy complete. But what is Jesus' greatest joy? What brings that smile to his face? Hebrews 12 tells us, We're called there to look to Jesus, to fix our eyes on him as the author and perfecter of our faith. And then look what verse 2 says about Jesus. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There was a joy that Jesus was after. It was a joy that was set before him. Those words set before him carry with them a sense of dogged determination 
and the stubborn perseverance of a marathon runner who just refuses to give up. Jesus was fixated on this joy. It was a prize he could not take his eyes off of. So much so that this joy led him to stop at nothing. Nothing could break his stride. Nothing could stop him from the joy that was set before him. Not even, not even the cross. He despised its shame, which is to say, he made light of the cross. Think about that. Those who've lived through a war often have difficulty speaking about it. It's too horrific, too painful. Well, on the cross, Jesus went through all the horrors and anguish that hell itself could muster up. There he hung forsaken by the Father who loved him from all eternity. There the sinless one became sin for us and endured God's heavy and horrible wrath caused by our sin. And yet, there was a joy that was set before him that made him scorn, make light of the horrors of his hellish agony on the cross. The joy on the other side of the cross far outweighed this light momentary affliction of the cross itself, and so he did not lose heart. Now ask yourself, what was that joy that made the cross such a small trifle, such a light burden for the Lord Jesus? Was it fame? Was it prestige or wealth or power? No. It was you and me. The joy that was set before him was that through his sacrifice on the cross, you would be forgiven. That was and still is Jesus' greatest joy. This is the joy that was set before him. The joy on the other side of the cross was the joy of seeing his people forgiven. This joy set before him was the fruit of the Spirit in the life of the Lord Jesus. We should never think that Jesus, just because he was God, didn't need the Spirit. The Spirit filled him at his baptism and never left him either. Jesus needed the Spirit more than anyone to carry out his ministry and to endure that cross. Make no mistake, it's because Jesus lived by, was led by, and kept in step with the Spirit that Jesus was filled with joy and set his heart on the joy set before him. It was in the Spirit's strength that he endured the hellish agony of the cross and even scorned its shame so that he might have the joy of seeing you and me, the church, his bride, forgiven. Now, what does all this mean practically for us today? It means that when you come to Jesus with, as one author puts it, your failures and foibles for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, and also with distress and need and emptiness, when you come to him with your worries and your burdens, his heart bursts with joy. Here, our sinful hearts struggle, don't they? We tend to think that when we come to Jesus with our sin, with our foibles and failures, with our burdens and sorrow, our worries and doubts, that 
deep down, Jesus is a bit disappointed, maybe even a bit frustrated with us. You're here for forgiveness again? What's wrong with you? But how wrong we are. An illustration will help. It's not my own. Imagine a wealthy doctor travels to a remote village that has been struggling with a contagious disease. This doctor has found a cure. But when he gets to the village, those who are afflicted refuse his help. Until, finally, a few brave souls step forward and are cured. What, I ask you, what does that doctor feel and have deep within his heart? Kids, young people, you know the answer, don't you? It's a three-letter word. It's joy. Well, as it is with this doctor, so it is with Jesus, the great physician and healer of our souls. He came to heal the sick, those afflicted with the terminal illness we call sin. His greatest joy is when we, who are loved by him, come to the throne room of grace and say, Lord Jesus, I am empty and worn out by sin and suffering. I need your renewing mercy and forgiving grace. That, that's what brings joy to his heart, a smile to his face. It's then that his heart bursts with joy. This is your savior, dear child of God. You have a king who is filled with the spirit and the fruit of joy. You have a joyful savior. So whatever you do, don't keep him at arm's length. Do not resist coming to him in faith. Do not think in your heart, he might love me, but he doesn't find joy in forgiving me. My sin is too much for him. Your sin is not greater than his joy. Your sin, I repeat, is not greater than his joy. Your sin can never outweigh his joy. Your sin, great as it may be, is not infinite. But his joy is. His joy knows no bounds. So come to him. Confess your sin. That's when Jesus' joy is greatest. We come to our own joy. There are many, many things that can fill us with joy. We can have joy, scripture says, at the birth of a child. There's joy in marriage and friendship, in fellowship, and in our daily work and whatever else. At the same time, we also recognize that there are also going to be times of grief and sorrow, sadness and heartache. Ecclesiastes 3 says, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Now the problem is that we tend to think that during times of sorrow there can be no joy. We think of them as opposites. You're either happy or sad. You're either sorrowful or joyful. You can't be both. So we wonder about statements like the one Paul makes in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
does Paul have a twisted concept of joy? Are you supposed to say, life's good, even when a storm is brewing in your heart and you're almost falling to pieces, when darkness is your closest friend or when you're standing at the graveside? Does being a Christian mean you just have to fake being happy? Does having the fruit of the Spirit, joy, mean pasting a plastic smile on your face and never admitting that your heart is aching? Not at all. The same Paul who said, be joyful always, also said in 2 Corinthians 6 that he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Think too of the Lord Jesus. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet there was a joy set before him. So what's the secret? How can we be sorrowful yet always rejoicing? The secret is that our deepest joy is not rooted in our circumstances, but in Jesus. Jesus is our greatest joy. As we rest in him, in his love, in the forgiveness that he delights to give us, our joy will be constant and complete. There's no greater joy than knowing that sin has been taken away in Christ. That there's no guilt in life, no fear in death. This joy will always be there because Jesus will always be there. Jesus, unlike our family and friends and whatever else, doesn't come and go. Never will I leave you, he says. Never will I forsake you. Jesus is not fleeting or fickle. He's a rock of refuge. He's an anchor for your soul. And when our lives are rooted in him, our joy will be unshakable and constant as the sun in the sky. You can't always see the sun, but it's still there behind the clouds. So it is with the Lord Jesus. He is your constant joy that no one can snatch from you and that no circumstance can chase away. This is the joy, Jesus is the joy, that Paul surely is speaking about in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. When we live by the Spirit, are led by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit, we bear the fruit of joy. Joy that's not rooted in our own circumstances, but in Jesus. So, do you want more joy? Do you want to be happy and not like that man with a headache? Then stop looking at your circumstances. That's so often our problem, isn't it? The reason I lack joy is because I look at the mountains of trouble all around me. I see sorrows like sea billows roll. And the more I look at them, the bigger they get and the more impossible to have anything that even resembles joy. Then I begin to despair, and the darkness closes in. I trust I'm not alone in this. In such times, we must remember that in the fruit of the Spirit is joy, a joy that no amount of trouble or sorrow can steal. What we must do then, by the Spirit's work, is to take our eyes off the trouble and sorrow all around us, and look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on him, 
the author and perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on him with the same dogged determination that he fixes his eyes on you. Your joy in Christ is the only joy that will sustain you and keep you secure when your circumstances and family life are favorable, but also when your health declines and there are strife and struggles all around you. Yes, even when you stand at the graveside. As the Spirit does his work in you, his joy will allow you and even move you to give thanks in all circumstances. That's really the key to joyful, spirit-filled life. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not just when the sun is shining, but when a blizzard is brewing or the rain keeps falling. When, by God's grace, this happens, then on the happiest day of your life, when things are going smooth, you can give thanks to God that your joy in Christ rises even above these moments of joy. And on the darkest day of your life, in your deepest sadness, you can do the same. Our joy in Jesus is richer than any earthly happiness and runs deeper than our deepest sorrow. Now, it's not just trouble and sorrow that threaten to steal our joy. Sin does exactly the same thing. Living in sin is the surest, most certain and effective way to crush the joy of salvation. Sin is a joy killer of the highest order. That's the reason for the warning we find in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's so easy to get caught up in sin. Sin so easily entangles and clings to us. And when it does, it crushes our joy. If you don't believe me or haven't experienced the crushing of the joy of salvation that comes as a result of open rebellion and sin, read Psalm 32 or Psalm 51. The reason sin crushes our joy is because when you plunge headlong into sin of whatever kind, be it sexual immorality, jealousy, anger, envy, drunkenness, or any other act of the sinful nature Paul lists just before the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, when you plunge headlong into sin, you're not looking to the only one who can give you joy. When you're fixated and indulging in sin, your eyes aren't fixated on the Lord Jesus. And if your eyes aren't on Jesus, who is joy itself, how can you have joy in your heart? It's impossible. And that's surely the reason why immediately after this warning in Hebrews 12, verse 1, to run from sin, verse 2 goes on to tell us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's our true prize and only joy. He's the way out of a life of sin and misery into a life of perfect joy and happiness. So let us take heed. Is there sin in your life? Rely on the Spirit. Run to Jesus. Do so knowing that he will receive you with open arms. It's his greatest joy when you come to him and receive his forgiveness. 
here we've come full circle. Jesus, Jesus' greatest joy is when we come to him for fresh forgiveness and renewed pardon. And our greatest joy is when we find our joy in him and rest in his forgiving grace. As we go from here, if you recognize that your joy is so often fleeting, don't try cultivating the fruit of joy in your life without the Spirit. Joy is his fruit. Jesus said in John 16, Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. That is what we must do when we lack joy, when it seems out of reach, when life takes a turn for the worse, and when we find ourselves looking more at our circumstances or our sin than the Lord Jesus. Go to God in prayer. Ask him to fill you with this joyful fruit of the Spirit, to cultivate it, and to make your joy complete. And by God's grace and Spirit, may we learn more and more that we need not be that man or that woman with a headache whose joy is always out of reach, but people whose heads and hearts are filled with joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.